Welcome everybody to the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host. Um, we are meeting today, uh, Thursday, June 30th, to uh, discuss uh, the Fox News host, Tucker Carlson. Uh, he is currently in Brazil right now, where he is doing a lot of friendly um, interviewing and uh, I, I, you know, I would even call it boosting um, of pres- incumbent President Jair Bolsonaro, uh, who is a far right figure, kind of almost like a, a like a Trump like figure uh, as far as as that kind of goes um, in other countries. I, I kind of I, I tend to like hesitate to refer to leaders in different countries in ways that kind of compare them so directly. Uh, with American politicians, because I think that's not always, you know, the, the best way to do it. But uh, in this case, you know, Bolsonaro is a far-right blowhard uh, who's conspiracy theorist, just a general idiot in a lot of ways. Uh, so, he ha- you know, he does have quite a bit uh, in common with, uh, with our friend Mr. Trump there. Um, and so at the moment, uh, Carlson is... In Brazil, he's doing a full week of shows from there, and uh, you know we are we are looking at kind of what is. Um, I mean, by all accounts, I mean I think you would would probably call it like this is a full court press uh, in favor of uh, Jair Bolsonaro, uh, the the incumbent who's being challenged really just by one candidate, uh, left wing uh, Lula who, you know, is, was once the president of Brazil, was thrown in prison, um, then was uh, replaced uh, at some point by uh, Dilma Rousseff, who was uh, unseated in a coup, uh, leading to Bolsonaro. And now Bolsonaro is running for re-election and is being uh, challenged by, uh, by Bolsonaro. Um, and, you know, the... the uh, well, that's so. That's uh, so. Brian asked a good question. Brian Brian Conlon asked a good question, which is, when is uh, when is Greenwald going to pop up on Carlson's show down there? Down there, being uh, in in Brazil, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, I think that that you know, like that kind of indicates um, the position that uh, Greenwald, I think, finds himself in, where. You know, on the one hand, uh, he's he's kind of made a name for himself by being, you know, like so openly and vocally opposed uh, to Bolsonaro, and also the fact that um, that he is incapable of standing up to or even criticizing even mildly um, Tucker Carlson. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of hard to uh, it's kind of hard to say like like when he's going to pop up. I mean, the funniest thing, of course, would be if he didn't pop up. You know, like if 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 he was simply uh, told that he, that they didn't want him there. I mean, he, Greenwald has, to his credit, been talking quite a bit about um, the uh, the murders of Dom Phillips. Uh, uh, that's a, I believe a, a U.S. or U.K. journalist who was uh, killed in the Amazon was murdered, um, and that's you know I think you can make you can have a direct tie uh, from the policies of Bolsonaro. Uh, to the uh, to the policies that have led to you know uh, 
people feeling comfortable enough to just go ahead and and murder this guy. Um, but yeah, uh, so we have um, we have a situation right now where where Carlson is there, and so it, the way that this has been kind of presented um, by Greenwald and from for some other <clears throat> uh, right wing figures is that uh, uh, that. That this is just a journalist doing a journalist interview, um, but I don't think that 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 is uh, quite um, quite accurate. Uh, I think that this is pretty obvious that um, that what is going on right now is that Tucker Carlson is trying to basically launder this guy's reputation. Um, so what we're going to do is I'm just going to play you guys a little uh, clip here. Um, that is going to show this is this is a clip that he uh, put out that's a clip from the the forthcoming interview that's coming up at 8 p.m. tonight um, so let me just uh, cue this up here and here we go and you guys can tell me if you think that this is objective or not the parallels between politics in Brazil and politics in the United States are striking to an American you are opposed by a coalition of professors and CNN Tell us what the opposition wants. What will Brazil look like if your opponent wins? My election itself was almost a miracle. I had nothing going for me. I was just an isolated member of Congress. I was known as a lower segment of the National Congress in Brazil. I connected my campaign anchored only with a biblical passage, John 8.32. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The media never gave me any visibility or space. Much to the contrary, they attacked me all the time throughout the campaign. If the left wing does come back to power, in my view, they'll never leave power, and this country will follow the same path as Venezuela, Argentina, Chile, Colombia. Brazil will become one more wagon on that train. The losers will be the Brazilian population, and also the left wing itself. The left wing voters will lose as a result. All of South America will be colored red, if you understand me. And in my view, the United States will become virtually an isolated country in the world. Well, uh, setting aside um, whether or not that would be a good thing or a bad thing if the U.S. was isolated and a pariah, um, I think that it is pretty impossible to listen to that, uh, that clip and think that Carlson is being in any way kind of neutral here or objective. Brian is now with us, Brian Meyer, a reporter for Teleser. Um Brian, you want to you want to kind of give us a bit of background as uh, you wrote an article about Tucker Carlson and and his uh, his involvement and in, in what he's doing there and what Fox is doing there to promote Bolsonaro. Um, do you want to kind of tell us what's going on with that? Just hit the unmute button down there at the bottom right. Okay, can you hear me? Yep, all set. Go ahead. All right, great. Well. Basically, you know, Tucker Carlson has this reputation among some sectors of the international anti-imperialist left, especially outside of the U.S., as being this kind of figure who gives more space to alternative or left or anti-war opinions than other mainstream media hosts. But and because of Glenn Greenwald's involvement on his show here in Brazil, some people have had an opinion about him 
that seems pretty misguided or ingenuous. So he came down here this week, and he's spending the entire week essentially just supporting Bolsonaro's re-election campaign through red-baiting, you know, using like McCarthyite, McCarthy-era red-baiting smears against Lula and false accusations of corruption. And uh, it's it's troubling because of the way that a certain percentage of the Brazilian population has this kind of complex based a lot on what was done during the military dictatorship years, which they called the stray dog complex, where anything that's happening in the U.S. is more important than what's going on in, in Brazil to these people. And so the fact that like the most popular news program in the United States is broadcasting from Rio de Janeiro and nor, you know, heavily like treating Bolsonaro like he's a normal guy, a normal president, not someone engaged in genocide against indigenous population uh, with almost every member of his family under some kind of corruption investigation right now uh, is going to have some kind of effect. It's, def it's already having repercussions in the Brazilian media and could possibly affect the election outcome. Yeah, that's interesting. Why do you think that, um, I mean, I know you, you touched on it a little bit, but can you talk a little bit more about why Carlson is able to have this effect? I mean, you know, Br Brazil is a completely different country, obviously has its own complex political um, and, and, and social, uh, uh, different sociopolitical uh, mores, and, and uh, it, it's just a different society. But somehow it seems that this uh, one commentator from, from a right-wing news network in the U.S. is having an effect. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, because during the dictatorship, the Brazilian neo-fascist dictatorship um, adapted this strategy of social control through television. So they opened a partnership with Time Warner and brought Time Warner down to set up its largest television network, Globo, and set it up really so almost everyone in the country had access to television transmission. You know, they built signal towers everywhere. And then they created this program to heavily subsidize the purchase of television sets. And for the next 25 years or whatever, this network global had like a 90% audience share on its news broadcasts. And it built this narrative that just the U.S. is the best, that communism, you know, communism is the worst thing. Communists eat babies. And anyone left of center is a communist, and the U.S. is the greatest society in the history of the world. And people who grew up in that generation, you know, uh, were um, succeeded to all that. Just kind of like people in my generation. I think I'm probably older than you, but I mean, I'm in my 50s. But I remember in the 70s having entire days of public school in Chicago just dedicated to lecturing against communism as a kind of brainwash, almost like brainwashing. And so sometimes when you bring up communism to anybody over the age of 50, they just get completely triggered. And, you know, they could be super progressive about everything else. But like if you mention Marx or something, you, you, they get triggered. It's not, luckily, it, since occupying stuff, it doesn't happen as much with younger generations. But it's a, it's a similar kind of thing. The media was used as a form of social control to condition Brazilians against communism and heavily in favor of the U.S., and so, the, and then this is tied into racial politics, where they've, you know, since the 30s, they've built this myth among Brazilian middle class, mainly and things like that, is that because Brazilians are racially mixed, they're inferior, 
to the pure Europeans and pure Americans. And this is what they call the stray dog complex. And so I'm not saying it's going to have that much of an effect on Lula's supporters and PT supporters that Fox News has come down here running propaganda for Bolsonaro for the week. But it is going to have an effect on swing voters, especially those who are a little bit older, you know, who still uh, remember growing up during this time when it was beat into them on a daily basis in the schools and in the media that the U.S. is the greatest country in the world. Absolutely. So I do, you know, I do want to um, play this clip uh, that you have in a thread. This is um, this is Tucker Carlson's father uh, when he is uh, speaking about his role in bringing down communist countries. This is this is I'm, I'm reading from your tweet here, uh, director of Voice of America. Um, let's play this and then let's talk a little bit more about the way that um, the way that U.S. media can, can can play a role in these in these elections in these countries. Was, was suggested by Mr. Murdoch in the events that took place in the USSR and Eastern Europe over the last couple of years. From Beijing to Budapest to Warsaw to Vilnius, information poured across borders. And news that millions of people had stood up to their oppressors helped millions of others sweep those oppressors away. I also believe that international broadcasters were equally important in laying the groundwork for the democratic revolutions that we have seen. Isn't it incredible how Western, all of those Eastern European sound in talking about freedom, democracy, free enterprise, environmental concerns. And they didn't get uh, those ideas from their own media or from textbooks in their countries. They got them mainly from international broadcasters like Voice of America, BBC, Radio Liberty, Radio Free Europe. Now, uh... You bring this up in, in, in your article, and I'll, I'll drop that link in here in a few minutes, but um, I think everyone should, should read it. You, but you bring this up to kind of say, to kind of draw a parallel between Carlson's father and him and the work that they uh, both are doing here for the right wing uh, in, in, in this case in Brazil. But really, I mean, as his father said, this is something they were, uh, you know, actively trying to promote this stuff um, around the world. And um, look, I just want to say, like, there are different ways you can you can interpret what this guy is saying. Obviously, you can interpret it just to say, like, look, they were just they just wanted to get this message out there, and once that message took hold, then uh, everybody loves freedom so much that they just automatically uh, rejected communism and became capitalist. I mean, that's certainly one way to look at it. I think that uh, the truth is is certainly more complicated and, and and more insidious than that. But can you kind of talk a little bit about that tie that you're drawing between? Carlson's father and himself and what he's talking about here and what Tucker is doing in Brazil. Well, you know, the Cold War was a different time, obviously, and people were worried that there was going to be a nuclear war between Soviet Union and the U.S. and that it was an issue of national security to combat the Soviet Union or whatever. But, you know, in hindsight, we know that the U.S. was to blame for a lot of the nuclear tensions and things like that. But in any case, the the kinds of um, psyops or psychological operations used in the media are really sophisticated. I mean, it's not just a question of, oh, we're just talking about democracy and people naturally <laughs> by default just came over to our side or something like that. I mean, the, the CIA uses very sophisticated tactics and other intelligence agencies, right? And, and we know Voice of America where... Tucker Carlson's dad, Dick, worked. <laughs> he was the longest serving 
director of Voice of America in the history of the organization, which isn't that long, six years or something, but it was during the Cold War. Uh, we know that they were heavily connected to the CIA. They received all kinds of covert funding from the CIA, and they were, they were a branch of U.S., obviously, state propaganda and whatever. And we know that um, all kinds of things, all kinds of manipulation of intelligence and CIA inside U.S. affairs. We know that Penn was founded by the CIA, which his first you know, director, Arthur Miller, probably didn't even realize that at the time. We know that the concept, we know from, especially from the book, The Cultural Cold War by Florence Stoner Saunders, that the, um, the concept of non-Marxist left itself was created by the CIA. In the early days of the CIA, most of the agents were Ivy League grads. Some of them wrote novels on the side and things like that. They were very cultured and they were very involved in the cultural manipulation. We know now that like abstract expressionism was uh, partially financed by the CIA to counter the Russian avant-garde, which was taking hold in continental Europe at the time. Uh, and we know, you know, of the relationship between the CIA and Hollywood, which even includes the most recent. I mean, there was a big article in The Independent about 10 years ago. Two researchers found that thousands of Hollywood TV shows and movies had received some kind of funding from from the CIA to boost the, the reputation of the military and U.S. geopolitical objectives. But recently it's come out that like Sasha Baron Cohen has received funding from the, the What is America program was, in, you know, he was involved with the CIA in the creation of that. And, you know, if you look at it on its face, it seems like it's kind of anti-America. But they, they use very sophisticated tactics. And, um, you know, one of them is this kind of full spectrum dominance where they try to dominate through media all sides of a debate. The left argument in the 60s and 70s through these kind of like advocates of non-Marxist left, which you see all the time in the Democratic Party, you know, people like John Kerry in the 80s and things like that. And also, um, you know, to the right. So, um so I would argue that what Tucker Carlson is doing on his show by bringing on left occasional or not so not economically left or pro labor union left, but like anti-imperialist, anti-war type voices onto his show is to try and employ this voice of America CIA psyops tactic of full spectrum dominance. And so that you're you're presenting like both sides of an issue at the same time that you're subtly advancing U.S. geopolitical objectives by limiting the goalposts of how much can be said on on one side, right? And constantly pushing the debate to the right. Yeah, and 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 so so I agree with I agree with that. I think that that is what he's doing. I think that I mean, but how do you answer people? um, You know, including our friend who was with us last time, uh, who say that. Uh, Carlson is presenting, um, and, and, and we're going to get, we're, I'm, I'm going to bring us back here to Brazil in a second, but that, that by, um, you know, interviewing all these different people, these, uh, you know, quote unquote dissident leftists, as, as I heard, uh, some, some, uh, uh, jackass say recently, um, that, that, that bringing these people, uh, onto his show is like a net good because they're reaching this audience. But it sounds like what you're saying is like, no, they're not really, what they're really doing is they're just helping him to push his message through. Um, would you say that that's accurate? And like, how, like, how do you, but how do you respond to that when people say, well, look, like how else are we going to get left voices out there into media? 
Yeah, well, you know, I've had conversations with people from, for example, from Gray Zone or whatever about how you should just come on any media that gives you, you know, space or a voice or something like that. I even went on Sky News once uh, and they never invited me back. <laughs> uh, but um, I think if you do anything like that, you have to be conscious of how you're being you're you're being manipulated. And it's one thing to come on once to talk about one specific thing. But when it gets to the point where you're like a regularly appearing pundit coming on the Tucker Carlson show to attack Democrats, you might want to start a little bit of self-criticism about, you know, why do you think they keep inviting me on? What's the purpose of this show? What's the and above and beyond the show? What's the purpose of Fox? How is Fox working to reinforce capitalist hegemony and imperialist hegemony of the United States government? And the expanded state in general, you know, like what, why am I, if I'm a leftist, why am I being invited on the Tucker Carlson show all the time? I mean, or, or know, even, or even just somebody opposed to the U.S. establishment, right? Like if you are, then why are you going on Fox and legitimizing? I mean, it's obviously part of the U.S. establishment. I mean, you hear uh, Tucker's dad, Dick, praising his current boss in that little video clip, audio clip you played. He's talking to Rupert Murdoch. At that moment, and that was a moment when they were directly involved in normalizing the deaths of tens of thousands of peasants in Nicaragua and El Salvador and Guatemala, or hundreds of thousands, if you include Guatemala in this. So they, they were using this kind of like deeply ingrained, uh, originally Nazi anti-communist propaganda about eating babies and things like that. <laughs> against peasant movements in Latin America that were just trying to overthrow, you know, fascist dictators that were, that had death squads that were like raping and killing nuns. <laughs> and they, you know, that in some cases they were only forced to become, to declare themselves communists or whatever, because it was, <laughs> because they weren't getting any help from anyone except Soviet Union. They, they'd initially, even Fidel Castro initially started out as a social Democrat. You know, uh, Daniel Ortega originally went to the U.S. government for help when they overthrew Samosa, and USAID sent him $25,000. Right. Like, what's the point at that point? Um, let's, yeah. So let's, uh, let's move, like, specifically to, like, what's going on in Brazil right now, because I realize that we kind of, you know, we started talking, we started talking about Carlson. I feel like maybe we, we, we jumped the gun a little bit. And I know that the last time that you were on, we were talking, um, we were talking about the political situation there, the uh, what what I guess is kind of like a primary right before the runoff, uh, which which is I think still expected to be Lula against Bolsonaro, uh, but there's also uh, this kind of conservative centrist candidate named uh, Cyril Gomes, and there are a few others. Can can you kind of uh, for for people who aren't com like completely familiar? with the political landscape in Brazil. Can you explain uh, the, the situation right now as far as the race goes and, and why it's important that Carlson is coming in to support Bolsonaro at this moment? Well, um, for the last year, Bolsonaro and his top military aides have been threatening a coup if they don't win the election. Lula's currently winning uh, in leading in all the polls by over 20 points. A few polls have him at a little bit under 20 points in the first round, but the most reliable actual 
presential polls, not phone polls, have them above 20. And um, so the idea, the strategy being used by the organized left, which is in its entirety rallied behind the PT and the Workers' Party this year because of the complex nature of this situation when we know that a coup attempt is coming. And that's, that's um, Lula's the, party, just so everybody knows, PT. Lula's PT. party, yeah, the Workers' Party, Lula's party. It's the, the, the strategy is to try and win in the first round. If they win in the first round, which means he'll have to have more votes than any other, all other candidates combined, usually you can do it with around 48%. Um, if they can do that, it makes it a lot harder. You know, even like a group of over a hundred intellectuals filed a complaint with the UN Human Rights Commission that this coup is coming along. The U.S. government has warned. The Biden administration has warned the Bolsonaro administration against trying to not recognize the results of the election. We know that Eduardo Bolsonaro was at the January 5th War Council meeting in Washington before the Capitol invasion with Mike Lindell. Steve Bannon has called this year's elections in Brazil the second most important elections in the world, you know, which explains why kind of why Carlson's down here now trying to normalize Bolsonaro and present him as a likable guy to to American viewers. Right. So that so basically the way the polls look right now. Lula is on the borderline of being able to pull it off in the first round. Okay, Bolsonaro's down at around 30%, 32%. And the third path candidate in, the, in Brazil, they usually, because we have a two-round election system, and there's like 28 parties or something. So there's always a candidate that's put in as a kind of spoiler to try and move the election to the second round and give the capitalists more chance to like mobilize and reorganize and possibly pull off a second round victory, even if they lose the first round. And so this year, that candidate is Ciro Gomez, who we talked about a lot with, with Glenn last time. Glenn lied through his teeth the entire time that he wasn't supporting Ciro. And a half hour after the program finished, the internal uh, caucus of PSOL party that his husband, David Miranda, had just left, released a note about how Glenn and David had come in and informed them that they were leaving that political party to move to Ciro Gomez's PDT party to help work on his campaign. So half of that in the, of that last debate was just BS, right? Um, so anyway, Ciro is a guy who's He's been all over the political spectrum during his career. He was started off in a, the PSD party, which was associated with a military dictatorship. During the dictatorship, he was in Geraldo Alckmin's former PSDB party for a few years. And then he's been in uh, a couple of center left parties. And most recently in the last three or four years, five years, I guess, the PDT, which is to the right of the workers party. Uh, it's a cent it's a kind of center left party that partially supported the coup against Dilma Rousseff, but for the most part they sided with Rousseff and the PT. They have a long history as generally being an ally of Lula's PT party, but in this case this year they're not. And so the point is, Ciro himself has taken on this role of being a spoiler to the extreme, and so he spent a year like launching bizarre conspiracy theories, attacking Lula on the abortion issue. He's taking a pro 
life, you know, anti-abortion stance against Lula. And he's saying things like, oh, well, Lula got himself arrested in 2018 on purpose as part of his Machiavellian scheme to increase the number of congressmen from the Workers' Party in Congress. And just crazy, you know, clickbaity, headline-grabbing type conspiracy theories. And for the entire year, Greenwald has been, as he spun, you know, so in the, in the debate he had with me, he spent about half the time lying that he wasn't working on the Ciro Gomez campaign. And he spent the other half of the time, like, attacking Lula, attacking Lula from from the left, uh, saying that he and the one most nefarious thing was that he compared Lula. He, he started comparing Lula to the Democrats, to the U.S. Democrats which is ironic because the Lava Jato investigation uh, that was started in a partnership with the U.S. Department of Justice and a group of Brazilian public prosecutors was initiated during the Obama administration. And the U.S. government under Obama was the first government in the Americas to recognize Michelle Temer after they broke the law to throw Dilma Rousseff out of office in 2016. Uh, so it's it's a lot of mental gymnastics in many ways in policy as well. You know, like when's the last time the Democrats raised the minimum wage? The, when the Workers' Party was in office, they raised the minimum wage above inflation every year for 12 years in a row, essentially raising it from like 50 U.S. dollars a month to 315 U.S. dollars a month. That's very anti. That's the antithesis of neoliberalism. But Glenn's been kind of saying, oh, it's just. The problem is Lula's just this kind of like corporate Democrat type person, kind of like a Biden. He's a neoliberal. And so Tucker today, uh, in, in this little three minute teaser for his interview with Jair Bolsonaro tonight is saying that, uh, is making the same comparison. He's saying, Oh yeah, well, who's against Bolsonaro? It's the liberal elites. It's the university professors and it's CNN. They're the ones who are against Bolsonaro, which is just, you know, the most ridiculous thing about that is that Bolsonaro's friend, a personal friend and campaign financier of Bolsonaro purchased the franchise for CNN Brazil. CNN Brazil is owned by Bolsonaro's people, right? So it's not even factually correct, but there's an ideological, there's a convergence in that one person from a, a, a left, you know, self-declared left standpoint, and then Tucker, who work on the same show for the same network, are comparing Lula and the Workers' Party to the Democrats. So that that represents a kind of full-spectrum dominance or an attempt at full-spectrum dominance to dominate both sides of the debate and damage. I'm not saying they're going to be successful at it or anything, but it's obviously an attempt to damage Lula's candidacy. Yeah, it seems like they're just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall, right? To kind of see what it'll what what'll stick. And you know, it is it is kind of interesting that that the that the arguments that both uh, Carlson and and as I think it's fair to say that you say his pundit Glenn Greenwald. I think that that I think that's a good term for him, social media influencer, whatever you want to call him. Um, it, it's it's interesting that they both taken this, but this this language that they're using really seems like it's targeted towards like the U S like it doesn't even seem like it's targeted, uh, towards Brazil and Brazilian politics. Um, do you think that that's, do you think that that's accurate? Do you think that this is just another example of trying to, trying to use, uh, this, 
this kind of more American take on things, this, this like, this is American media's perspective. And so that's the, you know, that's what you should be listening to. Or do you think that this is that they're just really targeting an American audience here? I mean, because, because I do think that it is, if, if you look at, you know, at least with Greenwald, who obviously talks to people in Brazil and in the U S if you look at his, uh, Portuguese uh, language tweets and 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 stuff defending uh, Carlson and defending his defending Carlson's uh, interview of Bolsonaro and 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 fawning over Bolsonaro and also uh, his 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 posts kind of defending his support for Ciro Gomez. Um, it is really interesting to like kind of watch like the way that they're doing it. It does seem like it is targeted at a at an American audience. Um, but then, of course, when 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 uh, when Glenn you know goes to Portuguese, then it becomes more about it, it, it's kind <laughs> of more targeted towards like this idea of look, I'm just I'm just a neutral journalist. This is just what I'm doing. Like like he kind of plays dumb almost. Like he doesn't really realize what he's doing. And it sounds like what you're saying is that what he is trying to do is to uh, to harm Bolson, to harm Lula's chances. Do you think that he is now kind of coming out in favor? of of bolsonaro that that's going to happen or or that uh that 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 there's that there's something else going on okay first of all let me tell you something really funny but i don't i don't think he's going to go so far as to openly declare support for bolsonaro because that would destroy him in brazil at this point but indirectly he's he's helping bolsonaro this year but you want to hear something hilarious last week he wrote a column for the largest newspaper in brazil folio do sao paulo uh, pulling the woke identity politics card against Lula supporters, accusing Lula supporters of being ho- of making homophobic attacks against his husband because his husband, you know, supports Ciro Gomez. So it's funny that <laughs> he spent so much time in English ridiculing, just ridiculing, lambasting, you know, the trans community, whatever, you know, people, people in the U.S. who who. Who, who try to use some kind of an identity politics, even if it's class-based identity politics. I mean, I know that U.S. corporate Democrats have a, have a really disgusting version of identity politics, but, I mean, there, there are legitimate identity-based struggles underway in the U.S., obviously, right? And he's just lambasting the whole time. But in Brazil, it's almost like he's trying to create a – he tried to create a Bernie bros narrative about PT supporters – Without any evidence that the people attacking his husband, without any serious material evidence that these people were connected to the Workers' Party in any way. In fact, a lot of people in Rio de Janeiro are mad at his husband, David, because he didn't win the election for Congress. He was appointed. He came in like uh, he he got like 17,000 votes or something, which was enough to be put on standby in case any Congress member of the political party, Pessoal, who was a congressperson, left to do anything else. And so John Willys uh, left the country because he was getting all these death threats. And so um, David Miranda was appointed congressman for a specific political party. And then like one year before the end of his mandate, he left that party. So a lot of people from that party, Pessoal, are furious with him, you know, because he kind of like betrayed the mandate, really, especially since that party, the PSOL, has come out in support of Lula in this election. And so he's benefiting from being appointed by the PSOL party, but he went to a party that's, you know, 
working against Lula. So that, that means that he's been criticized a lot. Uh, I mean, I'll use Glenn's own rhetoric here. He's been criticized by people exercising their right to free speech. You know, I mean, why, why doesn't Glenn defend their free speech rights? But it's hard to make the connection that they're related to the Workers' Party in any way. You know, another thing Glenn's been doing this year is defending people who are illegally, you know, uh, supporting the idea of creating a Nazi party in Brazil. Nazism is illegal in Brazil. And Glenn got really quickly on board with defending these people from the far right who are trying to destroy Brazil's, you know, anti-Nazi legislation. But whatever, it's a, it's a lot of stuff to talk about, but... But sure, so yeah, I, and we don't want, we, back to your question, I don't think he's yeah. going to actually come out and say, I support Jair Bolsonaro. He's just going to tap dance around while he's trying to damage Lula's candidacy. Yeah, having his cake and eating it too, uh, as it were. Um, so uh, we have we have we have Joshua uh, calling and let's take let's take Joshua's call and then and then we'll talk a little bit more on the other side. Uh, more about uh, you know Tucker's five days here in in Brazil. We also have Brian on the line too. So we'll, let's go to Joshua first. Joshua, go ahead. You are on the air. Joshua, uh, real quick. Uh, so I've got. Can you hear me? Yep, you're all set. Go. Are ahead. you able to hear me? All right, go ahead. All right. So I, I appreciate full spectrum dominance is uh, is a pretty obvious playbook by now being carried out by us globally. So, uh, but I appreciate the in depth analysis of how we're using it abroad, especially in Brazil right now. I want you guys, if you can, to talk about how you know Biden might just be is probably just virtue signaling. I mean, and probably his agenda aligns with the CIA's agenda wherever we are. Um, especially when it comes to BRIC countries like Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Um, which, so I wouldn't trust, you know, what virtue signaling we may be doing in that country currently. I, I'm not sure if you guys would agree with me on that or not. And then I want to also kind of bridge this dog whistling that we do abroad to our Supreme Court and their current activism via and in regards to women's rights, planetary rights, especially here recently. Um, and our, is our Supreme Court essentially saying to the rest of the world, we are going to put oil, the military-industrial complex, over anything that essentially creates equality and equity from a global north to global south. Um, I know that's a lot. I'm going to get off yeah. and let you dis discuss it. Yeah, thanks. So I think that, I mean, getting into, getting into the, um, the Supreme Court and, and, and what they've been doing, I feel like that is like a little bit uh, off topic uh, today. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, like like broadly, uh, I would just say that um, any I mean any any time a U.S. president is is saying that they're you know interested in anything having to do with any country uh, for any reason other than U.S. Uh, interests, there's there's just no reason to believe them. I think I think honestly think that that kind of goes for all countries. Like the like the the calculations are not made about uh what's right and what's wrong they're made about what what benefits brian would you agree with that definitely and i think the bringing up the virtue signaling issue is a good point i've had a lot of discussions with my co-editor dan and other co-editor natalia brazil wire about this um in this case what are uh, a few differences i i don't have any shadow of a doubt that biden is 100 percent aligned with the FBI, the DOJ, the CIA, 
whatever other intelligence agency and its interests in Brazil. I don't have any doubt. However, um, there's two reasons why I think it's possible that the U.S. doesn't support, that the, the actual you know, Democratic administration doesn't support Bolsonaro this year. The first is that from a real politic standpoint of political self-interest, it would be a major shot in the foot to give Steve Bannon and his movement this tremendous victory come from behind victory in Brazil. Because we know, you know, Bannon, Fox, all these people are down here. Uh, when they had the attempt to duplicate the capital invasion last September 7th, they had the CPAC conference right beforehand, and a bunch of Bannon operatives, Trump operatives, were actually in Brazil. And one of them was even questioned by the police on the way out of the country. So it would be a huge shot in the foot for the Democrats to allow Bolsonaro to get reelected. Okay? That being said, the Democrats are really good at shooting themselves in the foot. We know that, right? And then secondly, there's a group of about 60 congressmen and women led by Hank Johnson that since the 2016 coup against Dilma Rousseff, which the U.S. was involved in, um, have been really on top of this issue. Uh, they've, they've, Hank Johnson filed a congressional, two congressional inquiries about U.S. involvement in Lula's political imprisonment. And uh, a couple, I don't know, last year, a group of around 70 congressmen uh, delivered a letter to, Bol to Biden asking him to do a complete reset on his relationship with the Bolsonaro administration. And they're going to make a lot of noise if they find out about anything related to the U.S. helping Bolsonaro. And I understand even that there's an attempt to put a piece of legislation through uh, the Foreign Affairs Committee, maybe, calling, uh, calling for cutting off aid to Brazil if the Bolsonaro administration doesn't rec um, recognize the election results, which would I would imagine that would get pretty watered down, but um, like everything that Democrats do. But there is some movement inside, unlike the Republican Party, which is 100% on board with Bolsonaro, there's some movement within the Democratic Party that, that Bolsonaro has to be stopped. And from a real politics standpoint, it's a dumb move by, by Biden to allow Bolsonaro, especially if if Lula wins the election, right, which is on on course to do pretty solidly to like to, to allow a situation where Lula wins the election and Bolsonaro doesn't let let him take office and then support that decision by the Brazilian military or, or, and things like that. That would be a that would be a pretty big uh, shot in the foot. Goal. Yeah, it would be like an own goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, let's take let's take uh, Brian here. Brian, go ahead. Yeah, hey guys. So um, there's a couple of, of uh, just want to tick off kind of three things. So first, it does not surprise me in the least that if for those unfamiliar with uh, Glenn Greenwald's greatest hits, at one point he was the defense attorney for Matthew Hale, who was a murderous white supremacist um, involved with the Christian identity movement, a leader within that. Um, and so like my opinion of Glenn is basically he's a clan lawyer returning to form after a, a brief interlude doing something decent. Um, the second point, and I think this is kind of crucial to understand part of the reason why I don't think the U S has as much juice at the moment 
to do co- sort of regime change shit in Brazil, even though they're going to try, is is basically what happened in Colombia. Like the Pacto Historica winning is, I, I like, there hasn't been anything like that since the fifties. Um, like it is a pretty significant victory, particularly considering the role Colombia plays in um, American hegemony in Latin America is extremely vital. Um, and I think Brian's analysis about um, the likelihood of any kind of sanctions or cutoff of aid of Brazil, if there is a military coup, is accurate. Um, but I would just kind of point out that uh, in Thailand, when there was a military coup, um, the United States cut off aid and then eventually started trickling more back in. So I'd, I'd figure that it would be a similar dynamic or it would look very similar to what happened to Manuel Zelaya, um, where informally, oh, yes, this is really bad. And then eventually they'd find some excuse to to reestablish uh, relationships and continue to subsidize sort of the, the comprador forces. But, yeah, that basically covers it. Y'all have a lovely day. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Um yeah, I mean, I think that that is uh, all, all pretty sounds all pretty reasonable to me. But uh, Brian, what's your take? I mean, like, you know, I, I guess I would say just be- just before that that um, uh, the the clam lawyer thing, you know, it's it's I think you could kind of justify that by saying that you know it's it's a commitment to liberal values of free speech. But obviously, when you kind of put it with everything else, it, it gets a little harder to make that argument. But what, what's your take on those three points that Brian made there, Brian? Yeah, I think they're all good points. And it's always good to reply to another Brian. Um, they're all, I think they're good points, um, especially the one about Colombia. I think that the, the loss by U.S.-backed uh, people in Colombia, even, you know, Victoria Nuland was down there a couple of weeks before the election speaking to every candidate except Pietro. Right. It was very clear which side the U.S. was on. And the loss there is huge because Colombia was essentially, you know, like the Israel of Latin America in terms of close relationship and security relationship with the U.S. That was huge. And that has to have operatives within the State Department who may have been backing Bolsonaro reelection thinking that they might want to change tactics or change strategies. Another thing is that the U.S. has just been losing, you know, losing force in Latin America over the last decade or more. You know, in 2009, China passed up the U.S. as Brazil's most important trade partner. And now it's just totally (laughs) more important to Brazil than the U.S. is in terms of trade relations. In fact, I would even argue that contrary to what Tucker Carlson is trying to do now and paint Bolsonaro as this huge anti-China pro-U.S. guy, um, trade with China has reached an all-time high under the Bolsonaro government, and he's praised Xi Jinping several times, including last week, and praised the U.S. the Brazil-China relationship. But, like for example, the the coup after the coup, this deep neoliberal Washington consensus style austerity package was pushed through with massive privatizations. But I I would argue that I'm going to have to crunch all the numbers, but it looks like China might have benefited more than the U.S. from this. 
I'll give a couple, I mean, a few examples. Right now, uh, since Bolsonaro became president, the only, the largest beneficiary of his privatization of offshore oil reserves has been Chinese state petroleum companies. U.S. companies didn't get any of it in the last three years. You know, and, and you look at like, okay, so he just privatized the National Electric Company, which is a huge mistake, obviously. Uh, the biggest beneficiary of that was the Singapore Sovereign Wealth Fund. So like the, the influence in Latin America, especially South America, is clearly shifting away from the U.S. towards Asia. I'm not saying Singapore and China are allies or anything, but, you know, it's like the U.S. is what was expected to really benefit U.S. companies a lot and initially did after they got rid of Dilma Rousseff has in the long run looked like it's benefited more companies, uh, countries like China. Yeah, I mean, it kind of strikes me that the reason that Carlson is making this uh, China appeal is really more aimed at the U.S. audience for like if and when uh, Bolsonaro does the coup, that then they're kind of primed, at least the, the Fox audience is already primed to kind of accept that, to kind of accept that like, well, this is good because, you know, you can't have uh, the, the, the pro-China candidate. It is, it is kind of funny, of course, that the numbers just don't back that up. But yeah, I don't think facts have really ever um, been an issue for the people that were discussing any of them. Um, let's take uh, Cecile here. Uh, Cecile, uh, go ahead. You're on. Hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yep, you're yes. all set. Go ahead. Super. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I've been listening to uh, both of you for, uh, well, uh, Owen, I've been following you on Twitter for a long time. But uh, Brian, I've actually, I think I heard you years ago on Michael Brooks, uh, Brooks's show. Is that correct? Yes. I was on the show yes. a bunch of times. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I, I was pretty sure it was you. Um, listen, uh, I've been following this whole, uh, you know, Glenn Greenwald, uh, Bolsonaro, uh, Lula story. Really, to be honest, it was Michael Brooks that, that brought it to my attention. I think like many people probably. Um and uh, I remember that up until his death, you know, he was always sort of defending uh, Glenn Greenwald, you know, even when people would bring up on, on, on Sam Cedar's show or even on his own, sh on Michael Brooks's own show that Glenn Greenwald was, you know, kind of veering into strange territories with constantly, you know, excusing Tucker Carlson. He would always say, oh, basically that what he had done about the Lava Jato thing, that that would basically make up. For, for all the mistakes or, you know, whatever you could kind of credit against, or I don't know the word, but, you know, kind of hold up against them. And I'm just wondering, because as someone who honestly, like myself, who's not very sophisticated uh, on Brazilian politics, I just wonder, uh, Brian, what is your opinion? Why is it that Glenn Greenwald um, years ago did all these uh, pieces, uh, you know, for Lula and against um Bolsonaro uh if now he's I, I'm just I'm being really naive I'm just being honest why is it that he now turned against him and why was it that years ago he was he seemed to be so pro Lula basically I'm just very confused by the whole thing okay it is confusing and I just want to say like Michael Brooks did incredible work behind the scenes to raise awareness within the Democratic Party, within the Progressive Caucus about what was going on in Brazil. And I really miss him. And I wish he was around today to see what was going on. Um, you know, regarding Glenn, like at the time that Michael died, Glenn was really, 
his involvement at the time was really important in unmasking, you know, how what a sham the Operation Car Wash Lava Jato investigation was. Subsequently, other information's come out, you know. He refused access to 98, 97% of the leaked telegram messages, for example. And they, the only released information about U.S. involvement in car wash a couple weeks before he left the intercept, and he didn't put his name on any of that information. But that's not really the point. I mean, you have to acknowledge that his he, he didn't get Lula out of jail like he claims. I mean, Lula got out of jail due to the legal arguments of his lawyers that were constructed and filed before the, the, the leaks were published in The Intercept, right? I mean, uh, then they were recognized as evidence after Lula was already out of jail. So, but, but the fact is, his involvement, it was very brave of him to take on this task of like sharing the small percentage of the leaks that he received and really destroying the credibility of Lava Jato, and he received death threats at the time. I've never seen him really support Lula in articles or things like that that much. Uh, he's always been pretty critical. I mean, he started off in Brazil as an anti-Workers' Party blogger. You can go back to his earliest blogs in Brazil, just ridiculing Brazilian leftists when he was a libertarian. But, but I would just say, like, the stuff I'm talking about today with Fox News and Tucker Carlson and Glenn uh, strengthening Bolsonaro's candidacy, that's stuff that's going on this year. It doesn't uh, take away from the fact that he was an important critic of the 2016 coup against Dilma Rousseff and his role in publicizing the leaks related to collusion between prosecutor and judge in Lava Jato was really courageous because most the first couple of journalists that they approached to help um, release this information were too afraid to do it. And so he's a, he's just a complex person, you know, uh, yeah. this year he's not, he's on the wrong side. Yeah. It's been, it's been quite disappointing to watch, uh, I think for, for a lot of us, but, uh, it is what it is. Um, we, you know, just with the last couple of minutes that, that we have here, I just want to kind of come back around to, to Carlson and Carlson's uh, work that he's doing right now uh, on Fox. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of touched on this a little bit in the beginning. You kind of hinted at it. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to um, what you think, like, the net effect in Brazil is going to be uh, of Carlson coming here uh, or co going there for uh, for five days, uh, you know, spending this time boosting Bolsonaro, uh, painting Lula as uh, as as uh, I, I guess this like China connected communist, which is basically like what what he did at least in the clip that we've seen, and 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 boosting Bolsonaro as this kind of nationalist hero. Um, what what kind of effect do you think that that's going to have on Brazilian politics, and to the extent that Brazil is the argument for it? And, uh, and, and do you think that it's going to have any actual real effect on how people vote uh, in the first round here? Well, first of all, you have to consider that there is around one million Brazilian immigrants living in the United States. And probably 70 or 80 percent of them are registered to vote in Brazil. And that in 2018, the vast majority of them, like over 80 percent, voted for Bolsonaro. 
And since 2018, a lot of them, because I talked to some of them when I was up in Chicago last year, are kind of like regretting that they voted for Bolsonaro. And they all have family members who they talk to all the time in Brazil who also vote. Okay, so I would assume that the majority of the Brazilians living in the United States watch Fox, and a lot of them are fans of Tucker Carlson. And so if it's a close election, swinging a couple hundred thousand votes could make a big difference. Okay, also, um, if these people are convincing, for example, elderly relatives and things like that who to vote for, or even young relatives, whatever, in, in Brazil, it could have some kind of effect that way. But secondly, it's just like there's this echo chamber where when Brazil is reported in any major media outlet in the U.S., it always generates dozens of articles about it in Brazil. And so that's why, you know, it was important that uh, – that Bolsonaro's COVID-19 response was so criticized in other countries around the world. That all filtered back into Brazil. Um, his genocidal campaign to open up in remote indigenous reservations for gold mining that's killing, wiping out entire tribes right now. That's got a lot of press around the world. The, the assassinations of Don Phillips and Bruno Pereira, which are being blamed on, Bolsonaro's being blamed for enabling them and his poor response to the investigation that's being covered around the world. That all ripples back to Brazil. And so Tucker's five-day visit to Brazil is going to be the first time in, in a long time that so much positive coverage of Bolsonaro has been generated in the U.S., and it's all going to ripple back here. Now, it's probably just going to affect people who are already fanatical supporters of Jair Bolsonaro, but it could affect swing voters, a few swing voters or people, because the main, when you say swing voters now, it's mainly people who voted for Bolsonaro the first time around and don't want to vote for him anymore. Maybe it could get a couple of them back. You know, in the first, in, the, in 2018, 62% of women voted for Bolsonaro. And now they're polling at 22%, for example. That's a huge drop. Yeah. All right. Well, um, well, Brian, thanks for uh, thanks for spending the hour with us, and um, thanks for uh, thanks for all your work. Uh, it, it, just before I, I I do my sign off thing, can you just tell people where they can find you and where they can find your articles? Sure. Um, well, I'm on Twitter at Brian M. Telesur. I'm a co-editor of Brazil Wire. www.brazilwire.com. And if you speak Portuguese, in the case that a few of you might speak Portuguese, I have a web TV program called Globalistas on 247, Brazil 247. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, thanks to everyone uh, for, for joining us today. Um, if you're listening live or on replay on the app, please be sure to follow and subscribe. If you're listening on replay uh, via syndication on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, do all, whatever, whatever the terminology is on those sites um thanks everyone for joining us thanks to the callers for calling in uh we will see you guys next week i hope everyone has a nice holiday weekend that's in the u.s and otherwise just a nice weekend if you're listening elsewhere all right bye-bye now